This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Um, Today's scripture passage is Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, When people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Amen. Um, There is a uh, beautifully written line in the hymn Amazing Grace that I'm sure all of you are very familiar with that depicts the reality of the Christian journey. And it's not one of the more beautifully written lines where, you know, amazing grace, how sweet thou the sound that saved a wretch like me. But it's actually a little bit uh, on a darker note of what the walk of a Christian is really like. And the line goes like this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. The Psalms of Ascent are these songs that pilgrims would sing as they made the journey to Jerusalem for the major festivals Uh, the Jewish holidays, and uh, these pilgrims would sing these songs along the way and as they arrived in Jerusalem, and these songs show the emotions and experiences of the Christian journey, and a common theme that we've touched on a couple of times already since we've begun this series is that this journey is a dangerous one. This journey, along this journey, there are a lot of hazards. There are dangers, toils, and snares. And as I'm talking about it right now, I'm sure immediately in your minds, you're thinking about your life and your situation and the hazards that you're facing right now. My question to you this afternoon is, are you overwhelmed by these dangers and toils and snares? Are you overwhelmed by them? Or are you comforted by the God who is always on your side as you face them? Are you overwhelmed? Or are you comforted? Because if we were honest with ourselves, it is quite easy to be overwhelmed. It's quite easy to feel like we are alone as we face these hazards. And it's quite easy to forget that God is always on our side. What we have today is a song of rescue. We have the community of believers singing out to God, remembering God's rescue, remembering God's grace. Responding in thanksgiving, which will then provide them strength and encouragement for their journey. And that's how we will work through today's passage. We're going to remember grace, give thanks for grace, and a community of grace. So let's start with remember grace. Remember grace. Let's look down and read verses 1 through 5 again. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, 
if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Now, King David is the author of this psalm, and you can imagine him in Jerusalem, looking at all the tribes that are gathered there to worship God together. And as he's in Jerusalem, right, the pride of the Israelites, the capital city, this is where the throne of the king was, this is where the temple is, which is the dwelling place of God. And he's there observing all these tribes coming together to worship, takes a moment to look back on Israel's history and all the trials and all the dangers that they face. And he sings out this song in remembrance of God's rescue. He could have been thinking as far back as the Egyptians when they were oppressing the Israelites and they were under slavery. He could have been thinking about when he was younger and he was facing Goliath the giant and the Israelites were up against this oppressive army. He could have been thinking about after he, was, uh, he became king, they were up against the Philistines again. The text is vague, and there is no specific time or place or event that I was referring to. It could have easily be sung by Israelites when the Assyrians had come. It could have been sung during the time when the Babylonians came and exiled them, or in the times of Nehemiah when they were returning back to Jerusalem. There's no specific time in history that it's depicting, but what it is depicting to us is the troubles that Israel was constantly facing. It was depicting the threats that, they were always, that was always in front of them from these superpowers that were threatening to destroy their existence. And what David does is he describes what would have happened if God was not on their side. Verse 3, it describes their enemy as a devouring beast that would have swallowed them up if God was not on their side. Four, it was like a flood that would have sweep them away. That it was like raging waters that would have just swept them up and drowned them if God were not on their side. In verse 6, again, is referring to a devouring beast. And in verse 7, a fowler's snare, which is like a hunter's nest that was used to catch birds. David is calling the people to remember the times that God was on their side when they were in the face of their enemies. He describes their fate of what would have happened if God was not fighting for them. And so when we read this, these life-threatening images that serve two purposes for us as a reader today, it primarily serves to help remember the ever-real threat that faced us, our greatest threat, which was the penalty of sin and death. It was we were once vulnerable. We were once under the penalty, and we had this ever-present, ever-real threat before us that would have swept us away, that would have devoured us. But God, in his mercy, he sends Christ to die for us and saves us and rescues us from this greatest threat of ours. And two, it reminds us of even the smaller rescues, the smaller deliverances God gives us as we pilgrim through this life, as we journey through this life. And as pilgrims on this spiritual journey, we are to remember both instances, who we are before Christ, how he saved us, and afterwards, how he continues to rescue us 
and walk alongside us as we face our battles. We are to remember his grace. I read about this story uh, about a pastor whose grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. And when the family found out about uh, her, her condition, uh, immediately his aunt, uh, the daughter of the grandmother, uh, made it a habit to call their mother every Friday afternoon. And every Friday afternoon, she would just talk with her mother. She would ask her questions about her life. She would ask her to recount the big and small, you know, events that happened in her life. And so as this aunt was listening to these stories every Friday, she would write them down. She was creating a memoir from the stories about how her grandmother lost both her parents at a very young age. Stories about how she was adopted and had to relocate over to Germany and the, the, the struggles behind that. Stories about how she would eventually meet someone and move back to the States, get married, and have kids. All these significant events that happened in her life, she documented. Well, the years passed, and uh, the grandmother's condition got far worse. It was hard to have a conversation with her. Um, she just wasn't herself anymore. The memories have faded and almost disappeared. But when the family brought out this, this, these memoirs, and they started to read these stories to her, stories of her past, there was a spark. There was a connection. There was something about these stories and remembering them that, that, that moved something in their grandmother. And that's the power that memories can have on the mind. And not just on the mind. Memories have a great effect on our hearts as well, I believe. Memories have a way of impacting us, and they have a way of helping us deal with the present. And this isn't just some secular idea or just some psychological theory, but it's actually a command given to us in Scripture to remember. Over 250 times in Scripture are there commands for us to remember, to remember who God is, to remember what he's done for us, to remember his promises, to remember his word. There's something there. It is essential for our spiritual walk and for our spiritual growth to remember these things. And when we do, when we remember who God is, what he's done for us, and his promises, it greatly impacts how we deal with what's in our present, how we deal with the dangers, the toils, and our snares. If we jump ahead to verse 8, David says this at the end of the psalm. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He goes from recounting the past, how God has rescued them, and he makes this sweeping statement in the end saying, our help is in the name of the Lord the creator of the universe, saying that whatever hazard, whatever trouble is going to come his way that day or even in the future, he knows that God is for him. He knows that God is his help. And that's what the Christian walk is. We remember who we were before Christ, the situation that we were in, that we were separated from God, that we were lost in our sin, but he's come and he's softened our hearts. He's given us new life. He's given us hope, a peace, a joy that this world cannot give. And as we walk with them, if you look back into your life, there are stories. 
If you dig deep, there are cases where you remember where God was working for you, where he's delivering you from the dangers and toils and snares as you pilgrim through this world. So my encouragement to you today, church, is whatever you're facing today, look back. Look back on who God is, what he's done for you, how he has fought for you, how he has helped you. Write them down. Journal. Journaling is a great way to just recount these things. I have periods where I'm really good at it, and I have periods where I'm really bad at it. But don't just journal it and never go back to it. Journal it down and go back to those seasons in life that were really difficult. And you'll see how God has been working in you and how God has worked through it. And as you recount these stories, it'll help you in your present trials. Next, we're going to look at the give thanks for grace. Give thanks for grace. Let's look at verses 6 and 7 together. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. The pilgrim began the song remembering, you know, the near disasters that the people of Israel had. And now he says, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. And when we think about, you know, when we bless God, we got to think about what that really means. Because when we think about God blessing us, what does, that, what does that mean? We think that God has done something for us or he's given something to us that has strengthened us, encouraged us, and that is for our benefit. But what does it mean to bless God? Because there's certainly nothing that we could do to strengthen God, to make him better off, or to encourage him. To bless God is more of a stance, a posture of the heart, is giving thanksgiving and praise to him for his goodness, for his mercy, for what he has done in your life. And so as the psalmist is looking at all these near-death experiences, all these troubles that he had, he looks to God knowing that God was for him, and he gives God thanks and praise. Now, when we went over this first point of going over, you know, remembering what God has done for your life and your struggles and your battles, there might have been some of us who were hard-pressed to think of something. There are some of us who might be skeptical and thinking, was God actually for me in my life? We might know that, yes, God has sent his son for me. He has loved me, and I am you know, now saved because of it. But in my actual daily battles and all the challenges and trials that I face, I don't really feel like God is on my side. Is God really for me? Uh, I was going, uh, I was met with a church member this week, and uh, we were talking about this idea of God being for us in our trials, in our struggles. And she admitted that she had a very difficult time feeling that God was on her side. She knew that God loved her. She knew that Christ died for her to save her. But she felt like in her personal struggles, the things that she faced in her life, God wasn't really for her. It was mainly because of a very uh, tragic and traumatic instance in her life when she was in middle school. And she recounted this story to me where um, back in middle school, she was actually you know, pretty popular. She had a good amount of friends. She was liked by her teachers. She came to, from a well-to-do family. 
Um, she got good grades. You know, she lacked nothing. And so she had a fairly happy, pleasant life. But there was a group of girls at school, especially one girl in particular, who were just completely jealous and envious of her. And they were out to get her. They were basically bullying her. And um, one day, there was a school trip uh, that they took to an amusement park. And um, she was supposed to hang out with these group of girls. That's what she was supposed to do. But she actually ended up hanging out with a different group. And so that bully got extremely angry. And so at this amusement park, with all these people around, all these classmates around, all these adults, this bully threw food at her. And um, she tried to brush it off. She tried to just, you know, let it go and keep going. But eventually, um, the bully dragged her off to the side. And in front of all her classmates, in front of the boy that she liked, in front of these adults who were just walking by, who did nothing, made her get her on her knees and apologize. It was absolutely humiliating for her. It, it, it just... It was something that she can never recover from, and she still struggles with this today. But that's not the end of the story. She gets home, and uh, she, she tells her mother what happens. She explains that, you know, the, the embarrassment and the humiliation she faced in front of all these people, and her mother, rather being the comfort and the security and a safe place for her, scorns her for hanging out with kids like that, almost as if it was her fault for having that happen to her. And she felt like she had no place to go. She felt absolutely alone and abandoned. And as she was getting to the end of the story, I'll never forget, she tells me, where, where was God when this happened? How could God be for me as I'm going through this? And there are some, you know, things that happen in our life that are absolutely just tragic and, and so painful. And it's really hard to see that God is for us as we go through them. And, uh, you know, I don't want to diminish anybody's struggles, anybody's trauma, anybody's, you know, those really difficult things that happen to them. But we need to be able to look at these things that happen in life that are so tragic from a different perspective. We need to kind of take a step back, if we can, and see how God is working through them. You know, so I, asked, I continue to ask her questions, and I, and I wanted to kind of see how, why she felt alone, why God was not there, and if God really was not there when her life was collapsing before her. And she um, explained that when this happened to her, she began to doubt God's love for her. She really questioned whether God loved her. She began to doubt God's sovereignty, whether God was really in control of the things around her and really using these things for her good. She was doubting whether God was actually gracious. And this is what happens to us when we go through these tragic times in our lives. The pastor Scott Saul says this about these difficult circumstances in our life. He says, we filter the character of God through our circumstances, rather than filtering our circumstances through the character of God. Let me say that again. We filter the character of God through our circumstances, rather than filtering our circumstances through the character of God. What he's basically saying is this. When we have these tragic things that happen to us in life, 
we use those experiences and filter and we create in our minds of God's character, right? Because I'm going through this, God is not absolutely loving. Because I'm going through this, he is not absolutely sovereign. Because I've had this tragic event in my life, maybe he is not so gracious and merciful. And what he's saying is here is that instead of doing that, we need to look at who God is, who he says he is, what he promises us, and try to filter our situation through that. Because God is absolutely sovereign. And he does work all these things in our lives for our good. It says so in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things, all things work together for good for those who love God. And we also know that God loves you and he is gracious to you. In Romans 8, 31, it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How do you know if God is for you or not for you in your difficult circumstances? God gave his son for you. How will he not also graciously give you all things? How is he going to be for you in that and leave you and abandon you in all your other situations in life? He doesn't do that. We can be assured that he is for us no matter what happens to us because of the gospel. We need to filter our situations through the character of God and who he says he is and his promises to us. So I continue to talk with this, for this woman about her, her, you know, what happened to her in middle school. And I, and I wanted to kind of help her see it from a new frame, from a new lens. And I, I got to ask her, was there absolutely no good that came out of that circumstance? At first, she's like, yeah, there's, there's nothing good that came from it. All I have is trauma and pain and hurt, and I have trouble trusting God that he's on my side. But I kept asking questions. I kept digging. And, and what, I, what I found out was eventually that she um, ended up working at an NGO, an NGO that works with underprivileged kids from single homes, from low socioeconomic status. I was like, oh, so why did you, uh, you end up working at a place like this after college? She says, I don't know. I have a heart for the disenfranchised. I have a heart for the people who are really hurting the people who have less than, people who are outcasts of society. I'm like, where do you think that came from? And then she made the connection. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe it's because I was bullied. Maybe because I suffered under that. I, I now I kind of have this heart to serve these kind of people. Oh, okay, so you, you grew a little bit more into the image of Christ. We see a little bit of good there. So I asked, okay, um, so how did you respond, you know, when you felt abandoned by your classmates, abandoned by the adults around you, abandoned by your mother? Well, I had nowhere to go except to cry out to God. Oh, okay, so it led you to hold on to him. Even though, you know, you might, you might have trouble trusting him, it led you to him. It's like, yeah, I guess so. So it, it deepened your faith. It's like, yeah, it did. See, what we need to do in our circumstances, even the tragic ones, we need to look at it from a different lens. There's a photo exhibit where they take pictures of really, really ordinary, plain, boring objects. We're talking about household items, like you know, 
a kitchen knife, uh, a match head, things that are really just plain and ordinary. And you would think, you know, it wouldn't be beautiful. Things that are unesthetically pleasing, they're not interesting at all. But what this uh, photography project does is they took pictures of these very ordinary objects that are unappealing, and they magnified it like a thousand times. And so you have this Brillo pad, right? You know, those scrubs that you use for the dishes. If you look at it from, you know, just a regular perspective, it's absolutely unappealing. There's nothing special about it. But when you look at this photography project where they look at it from a different lens and they magnify it a thousand times, it's actually stunning. It's beautiful. You see these metal wires and there's just these, these curves and, and shapes. And then you see how the, the, the blueness of the soap is like weaving in and out of it. It's, it's an incredibly beautiful design when once you magnify it. And that's similarly the same, same thing that happens with our tragedies and our trials, the dangers and toils and snares that we face. If you look at it at face value, it can be not only unesthetically pleasing, it can be gross and ugly and very hard to look at. But if you look at it from the lens, from a different lens, if you magnify it through who God is and his promises to you and the way that he works through it to accomplish his purposes in you, you can find beauty in it. And when you find that beauty, that's when you can take these difficult trials and circumstances, and your confession won't be despair and grumbling, but rather thanksgiving to God for those trials. Thanksgiving to God that he was fighting for you on your side, even when it didn't seem like it. And we're going to finish off uh, with the community of grace. Let's look down one more time at verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So King David, he looks back, he remembers all the trials and all the dangers that Israel faced and how God was for them and helped rescue them through them. And it moves his heart to give thanks to God, to bless him. And he's assured and he's confident and he's strengthened for the current trials that might come his way. But I want us to notice one word from this verse um, that that stands out in comparison to the previous four psalms we've covered uh, since the start of this series. And it's one word, our, our help. Earlier in the psalms, it's used again. Even if it not had been the Lord who was on our side. There's a pronoun change as we get to this psalm. If we look at Psalm 120, it's, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. In Psalm 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. In 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 123, I lift up my eyes. But now here in 124, the pronoun is changed to us. It's the covenant community. It's God's people coming together and singing this song of rescue, remembering together what God has done for them, thanking God together as a community. It's being done as a group, as a community. When we go through the dangers and toils and snares of our lives, we are very tempted to isolate ourselves and to go through it on our own, 
for whatever reason. It could be, it could be shame, or some of us feel like uh, it, could be pr- it could be pride. We want to just take care of these things on our own. Whatever it might be, we try to face these challenges and trials in our life on our own. And one of the same strategies is to get you alone is to get you alone and away from God, is to get you away from his people and community as well, to isolate you. And when that happens, inevitably, these challenges will become overwhelming. They will become overwhelming. But when we get together as community, when we get together as God's people, and we sing together to God, when we all look together to Christ together, that encourages us. That helps us through our trials. You know, it's always interesting when you find secular wisdom that kind of is parallel or coincides with biblical wisdom. There's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And he says this about community. There's something really powerful about groups and shared experiences. People might be skeptical about their ability to change if they're by themselves. But a group will convince them convince them to suspend disbelief. A community creates belief. So this guy, in you know, arguing for ways to create habits in our lives, in his study, he realizes that when you're in a group of people that are like-minded with the same goal, looking towards the same thing, it helps overcome our fears, our disbeliefs, our anxieties, and all that, and it brings us, it gives us strength and encouragement to go towards whatever we're aiming for. And that's what community does for us. This is what this gathering does for us. As we come together and look to Christ together, we're encouraged. As we sing out together, remember what he has done, we are encouraged for our current circumstances. And as we, as we share our doubts and challenges and pains, we are strengthened as we lift one another up. Hebrews 10.24 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I want to encourage all of us to really get involved with this community. It's not a sermon about joining community groups and ministry teams, but I do really want to encourage you. Sunday service is a place where we come together and worship, but it's in these groups where we share with one another, where we share our struggles with each other, that we really are encouraged to face our dangers and toils and snares. We remind each other that it's God who gave his one and only son for us. We remind each other that he who gave his son will also, also graciously give you all things in whatever you face. We remind each other that he is for you. He was always for you, and he will always be for you until that final day. We remind each other of God's character, who he is, his promises, and help us look, through our, look at our situations through those lens, rather than looking at God through the lens of our circumstances. And when we do this, we won't be overwhelmed by life's dangers, toils, and snares, but we'll be encouraged and we'll be strengthened to move forward so that we would all be able to come together 
and seeing the rest of that beautiful verse in Amazing Grace, where it says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.